this little chart I have for you is kind of a help today for where we're going to be. Uh, pretty much a, a big picture of the Old Testament, some key dates and information for us, starting with Moses. Uh, significant dates at the very top. In 931, it's called the split. That's when the nation of Israel, under David and Solomon, after Solomon's reign was over, it split into two, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And that was in the year 931. Very significant mark in the Old Testament. Um, second date is 722. That's when the northern kingdom of Israel fell to the Assyrians. It was captured by the Assyrians, and they were scattered all over the place, as uh, the Syrian strategy was. 586, the southern kingdom fell, the kingdom called Judah, and they fell to the Babylonians, and the city was destroyed, Jerusalem, the temple was burnt, uh, the folks were carried off to Babylon, and you know a lot of the stories related to Daniel, and uh, the stories that took place there in Babylon. So those are three very significant dates, and they do pertain to judgment issues. And so today we're going to look at something I think would be quite fascinating for us. In the book of Nahum, we're going to spend a few weeks in Nahum, by the way, and so you might find our little chart to be useful more than once. But as I like to do during the month of November, I like to steer our direction toward issues of thankfulness. And I think this is probably a strange location for us to say, hey, this is a great place to study thankfulness, but it's actually ideal. And I think you will find so, because I, if I wanted a title for this, I'd call it the character of God in the midst of wicked people. The character of God in the midst of wicked people. Often when it comes to giving thanks to the Lord, we respond to the things he has done. And you know, it's very proper that we do so, right? We should be thankful for what he has done. We ought to be, as believers, the most thankful people on this planet when we think of all that he has done for us. And yet he doesn't stop with just salvation, does he? He just keeps giving and giving and giving and giving, and we know he's so good. And so we're thankful. And every time this time of year comes around... We ought to be very good at saying thank you for what he has done. But you also find it true in Scripture, and maybe this is more pronounced, and maybe it's more significant if you think through it. We ought to be thankful people because of the character of our God. His actions come from his character. His character never changes. Never changes. And when we go through hard times, when we go through you know, challenges, when we go through great times, when we go through huge blessings, God's character remains the same. And many, many, many times in Scripture, the thanks that we study is based on His character. And that's our focus in our study of Nahum here. It's the character of God in the midst of wicked people. And you're going to find this to be somewhat uh, unusual, perhaps, because not only has the Lord been good to us, He has done great things for us. But look at verse number 3. Chapter 1, verse 3. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. 
does the last phrase strike you? You say, well, that'd be a great memory verse if it's only the first half. The second half just kind of sets you, you know, upright and makes your ears perk up a little bit. And the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. This is what we're going to study today. So, Heavenly Father, we come before you and ask for your help again as we open up your word. Guide us through our study. We're so thankful for your, your character. How you are the same. And as we study these things, we're not looking at a God who has shifted away from his position, his, his, uh, his love for us, his grace, his mercy. Not one thing has diminished over all these years. Not one thing will diminish in the years to come. For you are faithful in all these things. And as we study today, may it well up with thanksgiving in our hearts. And we will be very quick to praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I do know that some people only listen to our broadcasts over the Internet, and uh, so I would have to at least explain the chart for one second, wouldn't I? So they have an idea what we're talking about. It's just a timeline. It goes from the left to the right. We have the first mark on the timeline, 1445. That's the date of the Exodus. We put Moses' name above it. Significant event in history. Uh, the next mark is just about an inch to the right there. It's 1000 B.C., and that is the time of David as he reigns over Jerusalem and Judea and uh, Israel. Uh, then a giant mark shortly after that, 931 B.C., that's the time of the split between the nation Judah and Israel, creating a north and south kingdom in the Old Testament. Continuing to the right, the next date is 830 B.C., the time of Joel the prophet. We will find that significance here this morning. Jonah follows that, 780 B.C., another mark with Jonah's name above it. And then a giant mark, 722 B.C., Israel, the northern kingdom's fall. A mark after that, again to the right, 660 B.C., the time of Nahum, that's the man we get to study here today. Another giant mark of 586 B.C., Judah's fall. And then just to the right of that, the name Nehemiah, 440 B.C. That's the time when Nehemiah uh, was here. And then a large little space of land or time here, until you get to a final mark, it says 65 A.D., and it's got the name Peter above it. We're going to see why in just a few minutes. Well, not a few minutes. Relax for a minute. I don't want to make it sound like we'll be done in ten uh, when we're not. Um, but soon we'll get to Peter. But let's talk about this section here. The, low, the Lord is slow to anger, Nahum writes, and great in power. Have you ever seen phrases similar to that? Yes, you have. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. Great in power. I love that little phrase. Uh, Ixus is the Greek word there. It's possessing power whether you use it or not. You know it's there. The picture that we had, we talked about this in Sunday school just for a touch. We were talking about dogs. And uh, it just so happens my note has a reference here to a dog. Uh, and what, what I think of when I think of something that has power, whether it uses it or not, 
they say that uh, if you come up to a dog that you do not know and it's wagging its tail, that's usually a good sign. Even if it's barking at you and wagging its tail, that's still a, a safe sign. Uh, a dog that's barking ferociously at you makes you step back a little bit, especially if the tail is not wagging. But the dog that says nothing and does not wag its tail is the one you should worry about. It has been trained. It has been trained. It has power. It may not use it, but it's there. The dog that stands still. That's the one that you should worry about. This is a word that's kind of interesting. When it's speaking of God and His power, His power is great, whether it's used or not. That's the word we have in this little text. I bring that up before you because also with that, it speaks of His patience. Uh, Macrothumia is the Greek word, though I know this is Hebrew. I pulled out the Greek Old Testament to look up some of these words. And it speaks of a God who is very long before he dispenses wrath. We call that patience. We studied that in the fruit of the Spirit, is the word patience. Well, this is interesting because it describes God in two ways. And most people call them almost contradictory great in power, especially in light of the fact that he doesn't leave you guilty unpunished, but also very slow to anger. That's patience. That's patience. You know, just that illustration alone about God being slow to anger and great in power begs a response. We ought to respond to those words, that this is the nature of our God, this is his character. Now let me show you something using your timeline today, and I'm just going to use it as my outline as we walk through a study of this same picture over and over and over again. Back in the days of Moses, back in 1445 B.C., we travel to the book of Exodus for a few moments. Now let's go to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter number 34. Now Moses has been used by the Lord to lead the people out of Egypt, out of bondage. They've gone through the Red Sea. They've gone on the other side of the Red Sea, traveled all the way down to Mount Sinai. About three whole months have transpired. They are now at Mount Sinai. God calls Moses up onto the mountain to receive the law. Moses went up on that mountain to receive the law. He was there for quite some time. The people started to panic, thinking Moses was never going to come back. We have no idea what happened to this Moses, they said. And so they said, let's do our own thing. And they created the golden calf. And things really unraveled at that point. There was a terrible scene in the Old Testament. When Moses came down, Joshua was saying, there's war in the camp. And Moses says, oh no, there's not. And when they got down, they found out it wasn't war at all. The people had been so engaged in sin that the Lord was furious. So was Moses. He threw the Ten Commandments down on the ground and shattered them. Dealt with the issue. And then returned back up to the mountain. That's where we are right here in chapter number 34. He's gone back up to the mountain. And the Lord said to Moses in verse number 1, Cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets, which you shattered. So, be ready by morning, and come up to the mountain, to Mount Sinai, 
and present yourself there to me at the top of the mountain. No man is to come up with you, lest any man be seen anywhere on this mountain. Even the flocks and the herds may not gaze in front of that mountain, or graze in front of that mountain. So he cut two stone tablets like the former ones, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went to Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and he took two stone tablets in his hand. And the Lord descended from a cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Now the Lord had just seen what they had done. He had every right as God to be absolutely furious with these people. This is what it says in verse 6. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquities, transgressions, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. And Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship him. The character of God was in front of his eyes. A God who is slow to anger, yet great in power. And his response was worship. About 500 years later, David is reigning over this, the country of Israel. Amazing things have happened that has brought about this day. He was God's selection for the job. You know the life of David, and it's an amazing one. And here David is in his throne room. I could almost picture him there as he's writing a couple of psalms out. And 103, Psalm 103, came from the pen of David. Let's follow it for just a few moments here. Psalm 103. Starting again in verse number 1. Bless the Lord, he says, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. 500 years later, David acknowledges it. Still the case. Go to Psalm 145. You don't have far to go where you are. 145, again, from the pen of David. Starting in verse 1. I extol you, my God, O King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. 
on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. Men shall speak of your power, of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. Why? Here it comes. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all, and His mercies are over all His works. Let's walk a couple more years. About 180 to the days of Joel. Now it's going to be a little more challenging for you. Joel's in the minor prophet department. And if you work your way over to Ezekiel and Daniel, you'll go just beyond that. Hosea, Amos, Amos, Hosea, uh, those. And then you'll find Joel. It's on page 1,428, if that helps. The book of Joel. Almost 200 years since David's life and, and reign, Joel is now living in the southern kingdom. He has seen some very bad kings come through there. And the Lord sends a message to him in chapter number 2. Fascinating words, because judgment is coming. Judgment, because these people who have known the character of God have not done God's word. They've not kept God's word. They've not done His work. And punishment is on the horizon. And it starts in chapter 2. Blow a trumpet in Zion. That's Jerusalem. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. That's Jerusalem. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. It's a day of darkness. It's a day of cloud and thick darkness as dawn is spread over the mountains. So there is great and a mighty people. There has never been anything like it. Nor will there be anything like it for years of many generations. It's a fire. Consumes what's before them. And behind them, like a flame that burns, the land is like the Garden of Eden before them. And it becomes a desolate wilderness after them. There's nothing at all that escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses, so they run. With the noises of chariots, they leap on top of the mountains, like a crackling of a flame of fire consuming the stubble, like a mighty people arranged for battle. Before them, the people are in anguish. All faces turn pale. They run like mighty men. They, they climb the walls like soldiers. Each of them march in line. They do not deviate from their paths. They do not crowd each other. They march everyone in his path. When they burst through the defenses, they do not even break rank. They rush on the city. They run on the walls. They climb into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. And before them, the earthquakes. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars lose their brightness. The Lord utters his voice before his army. Surely his camp is very great, for strong is he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome, and who can endure it? Oh, already it sets up for an incredible scene, doesn't it? Watch the next words. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, and with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. 
you breathe a little bit easier with those last couple of words? March a few years later to 780 B.C. The man's name is Jonah. You know his name. You know about Jonah very well. Jonah told him to go and speak to Assyria, the enemy. Go speak to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. Speak to those people. They don't know the Lord. What a unique opportunity to go and speak of your God before a foreign nation that was in trouble. They were in trouble because God was going to punish them. Jonah went, reluctantly. He went by a chartered route on a whale. But he made it. God got him there. He didn't want to go to his enemy to proclaim these words. He had a message for them. And if you found Jonah already, it's right here in this uh, collection as well. Where is that? There it is. It's a few pages after Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. There it is. Chapter number 3. He didn't want to go, but this is what happened. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, this was after he exited the whale. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it this proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city, a three days walk. Jonah began to go through that city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That was his entire message. Do you find hope in that? Forty days, we set the timer. Forty days, you're doomed. I wonder if he had a smirk on his face as he said it. Verse number five. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. Does that stun you? And they called a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, sat on the ashes, issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. For both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. Let man call on God earnestly that he may turn from his wicked ways and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw their deeds, he did turn from, the, and they turned from their wicked ways. Then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. And no, Jonah was ecstatic. No. Chapter 4. It greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he says, Please, Lord, this is not is this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, in order to, with, to forestall, forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. He knew the character of God, and he knew that a wicked people turning to him 
God would be compassionate toward. The year 660, about a hundred years later, Nineveh is on the target again of God's wrath. The same nation, the same people that repented in the days of Jonah, it took them only a hundred years to get back to great wickedness. We know history and we know how quickly that happens. A hundred years later, Nineveh is given another message from the hands of Nahum the prophet. This nation again was harassing Israel. This nation again was great in its wickedness. And as we work our way through the book of Nahum, and we're going to give a lot of thought to this next week, it expresses God's wrath over and over and over and over. Verse after verse after verse is about God's wrath toward these people. He will not stop this time. They are going to be destroyed. And you say, wow, that's a very heavy message. Only a hundred years later, and, and now it's just fire and brimstone all the way through. And yet, right in the midst of it, right at the start of it, verse 3 of Nahum, right there at the beginning, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Now what's fascinating about this is that Nineveh's judgment here is irreversible. When it reached this point, irreversible. God's mercy toward them was no longer going to be allowed. It was only wrath coming their way. Assyria had become arrogant and exceedingly cruel and somewhat thought that it had greater power than the God of Israel. Their downfall was right on the horizon. And you may say, then why write the book? Matter of fact, Nahum, you didn't even send it to Nineveh. It was written to Judah. It was written to God's people. This message. It was never put in the post and sent. It was kept right in town. When Nineveh wrote this, and you say, well, uh, I mean, when John, Nahum wrote this, you say, well, what's, what's the point? Why, why not send that? Why not tell them it's going to happen? Well, their days of sin was great. But you know, Israel and Judah knew sin very well, too. Matter of fact, these were the days of Manasseh, king of Judah. He was about the most wicked man ever to sit on the throne of Judah. Manasseh is there. In all his sin, Judah and all their sin, looking across at a nation that was about to crush them. And God says, I'm punishing them. I'm punishing them severely for their great sin to you. Israel, the northern kingdom, will fall to those Assyrians. Judah would get them all the way up to their neck. That's how it's going to feel when they see Assyria coming. But they would not listen. They would not listen to God. And here's a great lesson for them. Because they were no closer to God than Assyria was. And God's character is the same, regardless of the people. Regardless of the nation, God's character is the same. He is always slow to anger. He's always great in power. And He never leaves the guilty unpunished. That's true. 
in his character. That's what Nahum is writing about here. And he brings up that phrase. God is slow to anger. Now just for a few moments, let's go beyond that. Let's go to the book of Nehemiah. Now you say, well that's after in time, but it's way before in the Old Testament. You find it even before the book of Psalms. You find Nehemiah way up before the book of Job even. Nehemiah chapter number 9. This is 440 B.C. now. We've gone many, many years later. Judah, because they refused to listen, were destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. They were carried off into captivity. They spent 70 years under the domain of the Babylonians. Incredible chunk of history there. But they were in captivity. And when the Lord finally had mercy upon them and let them go back to their land... He gave them such leaders like Nehemiah. And they were back into a land without walls. They were back into a land without a temple. And they were given responsibilities to build and to live. But most of all, to serve the Lord. Thankfully, they had a man like Nehemiah to lead them. This is what went on 70 years, still smarting after that captivity. Nehemiah chapter number 9, verse 1. Now on the 24th day of this month, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dirt upon them. The descendants of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. While they stood in their place, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God on the fourth of the day. And for another fourth, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Verse number four. Watch these words. This is what was said. The Levites stood up. Verse 4 and verse number 5 mentions them. In the middle of verse number 5, Arise, bless the Lord your God forever and ever. O may your glorious name be blessed and exalted above all. Blessings and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, the heavens of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that's on it, the seas and all that's in them. You gave life to all of them. The heavens, heavenly host bows down before you. You are the Lord God. And he starts to go through this description here. And I can't, I don't have the time to read all of this. He goes through a description of the Old Testament. How God called Abraham and led him. How God used Moses and Egypt and the Red Sea and all that transpired. He goes through a whole list of how the Lord was good and great and provided. Even down to manna and water. And then verse number 16 pops up, and it's kind of a jarring little verse, because all the way through it's talking about God's goodness to them. God's goodness to them. Great things God has done. And you know what? They forgot about His character. There's a danger we could easily do. Base God's character just on whether or not things are good or not. (laughs) But, verse 16, they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn and would not listen to your commandments. They refused to listen and did not remember your wondrous deeds which you have performed among them. They became stubborn and appointed a leader to return them to slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, and you did not forsake them. What a statement. 
what a statement that is. All through the Old Testament, you have seen the pattern. You could mark it on those little peaks on your chart today. Every single character, person I brought you up to has shown you the same thing. Man is wicked. God's character is a forgiving God, a compassionate God, a gracious God, who's slow to anger, who's abounding in loving kindness, and yet by no means will leave the wicked unpunished. He said that in 1445 B.C. He said that in 1000 B.C. He said that in 830 B.C. He said that in 780 B.C. He said that in 660 B.C. He said that in 440 B.C. Has he changed? I want to launch you all the way into the end times now. You ready? Put on your seatbelts. This is yet to happen. We might be in those very days now. It's in Second Peter chapter number 3. Second Peter chapter number 3. Starts in verse number 3. We're just going to scan down to verse number 9 here. Second Peter 3.3. 3. Know this first of all. In the last days, mockers will come. I think we're there. The last days. Mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, and saying, I'm going to say it in their kind of voice, where's the promise of his coming? They're mocking him in that sing-song little voice of theirs. Where's the promise of his coming? For every since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it always was from the beginning of creation. <laughs> we don't believe in your God. We don't believe he's going to do a thing. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice. That by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water and by water. That's his power, folks. And through which this world at that time was destroyed. It was being flooded with water. That's Noah's day. But, by his word, the present heavens and earth, the one you're standing on now, are being reserved for fire. Kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. He's talking to the Christian now. That with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. A thousand years like one day. What does that mean? It's the same. When it comes to the Lord, it's the same. His character doesn't change. His ways do not change. The world has its ups and its downs, but God does not change. Doesn't matter, put the number of years you want there. What does not change? Verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is what? Patient towards you, not willing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Even to this day, to this hour, to this minute, God is slow to anger and great in compassion. Still, to this world, 
still to the people of this land. God is merciful. He is merciful. Every single hour is a mark of His mercy. That He allows us to gather is a mark of His mercy. That He allows us to exist is a mark of His mercy. He continues to call with His patience, with His grace, with His loving kindness, His goodness. It's extended to people like us in a land like ours. Our God is still merciful. Still merciful. Over 200 years ago, Thomas Jefferson said, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that His justice cannot sleep forever. Now that sounds very striking, doesn't it? I like that quote, but it doesn't go far enough. Perhaps it's because Thomas Jefferson did not know the power of God and the wrath of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God. I can't speak for him today. But he only could see God's judgment. And when I read of God's judgment, I also see his mercy. All the way through Scripture I see that. And I could only speak for myself in that Ephesians chapter 2 it said that I was by nature a children of wrath. I was a child of wrath just like all the rest. But the very next verse says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love in which He loved us, when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace. You see, nationally, I beg for God's mercy. Nationally, I beg for His patience it would appear that he has been very merciful to us. Personally, and what it comes down to for me, is that we all should be thankful for his great patience. He has given that to us. Often when it comes to giving of thanks, we can mark all the things that he's done and said, I'm thankful for that, and I'm thankful for this, and I'm thankful for this. But let's also include his character this year. When we say we're thankful, let's be thankful for his character, his consistency in patience and kindness toward us. We are blessed people, folks. We are blessed. Let's talk to him right now, and with thankful hearts. Heavenly Father, we bow before you right now. The God who has declared in his own word over and over and over and over again that you are slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and great in power. Lord, though we are those who deserve that punishment, for the wages of sin is death, and all of us do that. You and your great mercy, and your grace, and your patience saved us. And we praise your name. We come before you with thankful hearts today. That you would do that for us personally. Lord, I do not have any doubt that you move in the 
in the actions of a nation as well as you do in the actions of a people. And I would pray your mercy extends to this country. That there might be one more time a revival among us. That men and women, children, young and the old would come to know the Lord. That they would turn to what's right. And rather than just exist as those who you are exceedingly patient toward, may they become those who belong to you by faith in Jesus Christ. Change our land. Change our people. May they see the greatness of our God, the character of our God. May they learn to bow down and worship as well. For us as individuals, it's extended just to our simple walk of life. May we be those who know the character of our God and live constantly in thankfulness to what you have done. May it be evident to the world around us when we say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. May there be those who hear it. Perhaps when they see our good works, they'll glorify our Father who is in heaven. Thank you, Lord, for your patience. Thank you for your greatness. We give you the glory today in Jesus' name. Amen.